Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. If you were to take a survey of the general public and ask them what is the biggest problem with quote-unquote religious people, I'm guessing the top result is going to be clear. Hypocrisy. That's what people will say is the biggest problem with people that claim to be religious. And so as we think through that, is that just a cultural thing or is that a biblical thing? Does the Bible have problems with hypocrisy? Well, clearly the Bible does. Think of what was really Jesus's strongest words during his life. It was aimed at hypocrites, namely the Pharisees, the religious leaders. But we're going to see in Romans chapter two today, a similar uh, rebuke towards people that claim to be religious. We saw Romans 1 describing this spiritually declining society. And what we're going to see then in Romans chapter 2 is uh, Paul kind of turns his aim away from the pagans of the world to those that claim to be religious. And maybe even specifically, uh, many that are Jewish and think that because of their Jewish heritage, they are uh, somehow better off. And he's really building his case that you'll see tomorrow in chapter 3. He's building his case to say everyone is guilty. The pagans are guilty. The religious people are guilty. We are all guilty and no one will be justified by the works of the law. So that's the broader argument of chapters one through three. And chapter two is really focusing more on those that are uh, religious. And and we'll see that right there uh, in the beginning where it says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, do You condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And so there we see there's that call of uh, you're not practicing what you preach. And he comes back to that uh, later in the chapter where he rebukes them again. Uh, As he says in verse uh, 21, towards the end of the verse, he says, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? And you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? So he's saying, hey, these things, they, they don't add up. And and from this chapter, I want us to get kind of four uh, things out, out of our reading of Romans chapter two. And the first is we need to watch out for hypocrisy, uh, that we see how God feels about hypocrisy and, and we should uh, hear those words. Uh, hey, are you practicing what you preach? You know, you who condemn adultery, are you committing adultery? And, and that's where you just even think of our culture. And think of how Jesus defines adultery. Even if you look at a woman with lust, you have committed adultery with her. How many people are there out there that would say, oh, yeah, I'm 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 against divorce and I'm against adultery and I'm against this whole progressive LGBTQ sinful agenda in our culture. I'm against all of those things. Yet if you looked at their Internet history, you would find, well, they're looking at pornography on a regular basis. The Bible would call that hypocrisy. And that's where if if that's going on in our lives, we need to say that's not right. And really, we need to say it, it doesn't honor God. Look what it says in Romans 2, verse 23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, 
the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And, and, and that's what it's talking about. Go ask the pagans. What's the biggest problem with religious people? Hypocrites. And that's where you can't really say, no, there's not hypocrites because they're are hypocrites. And the name of God is dishonored when people who say they serve God get exposed as hypocrites. Just think every time a a pastor or a religious leader gets exposed as a hypocrite, gets exposed in some secret sin, that brings dishonor to the church, that brings dishonor to God. How do you think God feels about that? That's where we do need to check our own lives for hypocrisy. And we need to say, hey, if there's things I'm doing in in private or if there are things I'm doing that I'm blind to that are inconsistent with what I claim, I need to repent of those things. And and while we need to hear that warning, really the bigger context of uh, Romans 2 is pointing people towards the gospel, Uh, pointing people towards, hey, we're all, to some extent, without Christ, we are all would be hypocrites because external religion doesn't have the power to change our hearts, which is what is needed. And that's where the next two kind of exhortations come from. And one is uh, don't just think that what you know scores you a bunch of spiritual points. And that's what he is pointing out here. Hey, you, verse 17, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, right? You know certain things. Don't just think that knowledge all by itself scores you some kind of spiritual points. And especially don't just think that knowledge all by itself can uh, save you. And that's something that a lot of people can fall prey to even today. People think, well, I know the truth and I have the Bible and I read the Bible. Therefore, I am better than everyone else. No, the argument is Romans saying, hey, it's great. That's what we're going to see tomorrow in chapter three. It's great. You have the Bible. It's great. You know the Bible, but you are still under sin and you will not be justified. And that's where you need to think just because you might know a lot of theology or, hey, I'm doing revival from the Bible and I'm not like those slackers who are behind in doing the reading. I am caught up. I am listening to today's and reading today's uh, material today. I am on track. Hey, that is great. But if that becomes a source of spiritual pride or if that makes you think, well, because I am doing that, then I'm all good, that you're missing the point. What we know is important, it's good, but it's not everything. And if you think just by knowing certain things, that just elevates me, think again. And then we need to be warned, kind of the third thing I want us to see is uh, what you do uh, does not necessarily score you spiritual points or make you better than others. And by that, I mean kind of the external ceremonial things. Here he talks about uh, a lot about circumcision. Right, That was the sign of the covenant given to the Jewish people. And he's saying, hey, don't just think you're better off because you're circumcised. And that's where, you know, now most people today medically are, are circumcised in our society, or maybe you're not. That's, that's not really the front of mind issue for us today. But maybe you think through, well, I go to church, or I was baptized, or I read my Bible, or I pray before my meals. Again, those are all important things on some level and in various levels of understanding. If we're, if we're doing those things rightly, going to church, being baptized, reading the Bible, praying before meals, all good things. But if you just think, because I'm checking those boxes, somehow I am better, that's not the idea. Because as it gets to the end, what really matters is what's going on in your heart. 
That is what really matters. And that's really, again, the broader picture. It's making a point about the gospel that none of us can be saved by what we know. None of us can be saved by just the external things that we do. We need a change of heart. And that is only going to happen through faith in the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where that change is going to come from. And so we need to understand that. We need to hear that. And that should result in humility for us. That's kind of the fourth thing. I hope all of us are humbled. As many of you listening to this might think, well, I'm not a pagan. I, I never was. I've been in church my whole life. You need to remember that's not why you're saved because you've been in church your whole life. You're, you haven't been saved by the things that you've done or the, the facts that you know. You're, you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where one verse that should uh, elevate that humility and gratitude for us is verse 4, which says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If you are saved, it's not because of what you did. It's not because of what you know. It's because God is kind and patient. And God was kind and patient with you. So I want you to feel that today. Even if you've been saved most of your life, don't think, well, I mean, I'm here because I deserve to be. No, you are here because God was kind and patient with you. So let's avoid hypocrisy. Let's uh, not think that what we know or what we do just you know makes us better. And let's really have a real gospel humility that remembers the kindness and the patience of Christ and God towards us. Let's turn now to our Old Testament reading where we see perhaps another example of hypocrisy, someone that honored God with their words, but clearly their life did not match up. And that's going to be the figure of Abijam or Abijah, two different ways to spell or say his name. And we're seeing this in 1 Kings 15, 1 through 24, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 13. Now, in 1 Kings 15, it describes the reign of Abijam there in the first eight verses, and then it gets into King Asa. And if you remember, lots of times Chronicles, especially for the kings of Judah, is giving us more detail. Uh, So we're really going to focus on Abijam or Abijah today, and then we'll get back to King Asa as it goes into further depth of him in the book of 2 Chronicles. But as we look at the reign of Abijam, if you read 1 Kings first, you're like, Yikes, this is a problem because he walked in all the sins, verse 3, that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. And so there you see, ah, it doesn't seem like he was a very good king. Uh, he didn't do what, what God told him to do. Uh, so, okay, another not great king in Judah, and he doesn't reign for very long, three years. And now, if you read Second Chronicles, especially if you read First Kings and then read Second Chronicles, maybe you're scratching your head saying, wait, this, this king Abijah... Uh, he seems like a good king because they go out to battle in civil war against the nation of Israel and he gives up and he gives this kind of inspiring speech where he talks about how Jeroboam has set up these idolatrous golden calves and that they have the priests and that they are seeking the Lord and that God is with them and then God gives them victory. So it's almost like you're saying, is this the same guy? And maybe you're even wondering, hey, the name's spelled different. Is this two different kings? No, it's the same 
king. And that's where we need to understand this king who's giving this inspiring speech, he's not really living it out, it really, in his life from what we see in 1 Kings. So that begs the question, well, then why does God give the victory? Why does God honor this king and give him victory over Jeroboam when Abijah or Abijam is somewhat of a hypocritical uh, guy? And that's where the best answer I think we can understand as we put these together is that the Lord ultimately acts not for uh, this king Abijah, the Lord acts for his own name. Because even though Abijah wasn't living it out, he did make some true points that Israel had abandoned God to this greater degree with these golden calves and, and setting up whoever they wanted to be as priests. And also, I think God was doing something to defend the southern kingdom of Judah because his promise for David. And that's where, as you look at 1 Kings in verse 4, it says, nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and a establishing Jerusalem because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah, the Hittite. So there, despite his hypocrisy, I think what we see is God acts for the sake of his name and for the sake of his promises, the promises that he had made to David, even to protect uh, Jerusalem and to establish his line there as Kings, And maybe that's a comfort to us that even though we live in a world full of hypocrites, and that can be frustrating or concerning to us, we have a God who will act to defend his name. We have a God who will keep his promises no matter what uh, people are doing. So a lot for us to chew on today, and I do pray that it causes us to examine our own hearts for hypocrisy and also just inspires that gratitude and humility for the patience and kindness of God that has led us to repentance. Uh, Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.